Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, everybody, welcome to Iran Book Show on this uh, Saturday. It's afternoon for you guys, mostly. I'm here in Tbilisi, Georgia, where it is late at night, so um, a little tired. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how long we go today. But it is uh, it is ten o'clock here in Georgia, and uh, we're eight hours ahead of the East Coast. We are eleven hours ahead of the West Coast, and um, haven't done a show in a while. So I figured I'd do a show today. Hopefully, sound is good. Give me a thumbs up if it is. Hopefully, uh, videos coming across. I don't know um, how good the uh, internet connection is going to be here. It was so so earlier. I think good enough, not great. So um, let me know if you're having problems or not. And those of you in the chat, uh, just give it a thumbs up or, or give it a give it something to let me know. Everything looks and sounds good. Um, I'm in Tbilisi. I've uh, done two events in Tbilisi. A third tomorrow on uh, um, on Friday. I did a talk yesterday. I did a talk at uh, Free University, named after Freedom Freedom University, uh, where I gave a talk about uh, the morality of capitalism. And about a hundred people there. A terrific reception. Um, you know, uh, I know both the rector of the university and the owner of the university. It's kind of a private nonprofit, I think. Uh, but um, great friends, uh, great supporters. And uh, whenever I'm in Tbilisi, they organize a talk for me. So it, it was great. It was great to meet students, talk to students, uh, and, and uh, also some alumni who maybe heard me speak a few years ago and were back for more. So it was just, it was a lot of fun and, uh, um, and, good, uh, and good to be here today. Um, I did a talk as part of the um, um, Free Market Roadshow. Free Market Roadshow, I think I've told you about this when I did my show in Prague. But the Free Market Roadshow basically takes a group of intellectuals, 
usually about four, and then we travel from city to city to city, and we do a program. And I did my talk today on um, why freedom. You know, there's this assumption that we should we should all care about freedom. We should all fight for freedom, and freedom's really really important, and freedom's everything. And but why? Why is freedom important? Important to whom? And for what? So I thought that went really well. It, 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 George is great because, you know, so many people here follow me on, on Facebook and Twitter. They, they watch the show. Um, they listen to podcasts. Uh, so I have a real following. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, and I'll, I'll get to this in a little while, is, is that you meet here a lot in Georgia. You meet a lot of people who have a deep knowledge of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, you meet a lot of Ukrainians here. There's, there's quite a few people who have joint citizenship between Ukraine and Georgia. Um, for whatever reason, these two countries are associated and affiliated. Uh, and I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. Um, and, and, and a lot of Ukrainians are living here and a lot of Russians are living here. So about anywhere between twenty to 50,000 uh, Russians have left Russia. They don't have anything to do with Putin. They, you know, the Russian economy is tanking. Things are going really, really bad in Russia right now. They don't want to be, want to be associated with the war and support it in any way. So they're leaving Russia. There's clearly a brain drain happening in Russia. Some of them are going to Israel. Some of them are going, if they can, to Europe or different places in Europe. Many of them, somewhere between twenty to 50,000 of them, are coming here to Georgia where they can, if they are programmers or if they, they can work remotely um, or, or they, can, they can start businesses or they can, you know, uh, uh, just so rents are going up. Uh, rents are really, really high in Tbilisi right now. Uh, a lot of the students, um, a lot of students are having a uh, hard time being able to afford the rent to go back to university because the Russians have driven up rents. The same thing, by the way, is happening in Israel. You can't rent a place in Israel because the Russians uh, have flooded the place and are driving up rents. Uh, so um, anyway, so today I did a talk on why do we care about freedom? And, and um, hopefully somebody recorded it on the iPhone. Hopefully the video and audio quality are good enough. It's a short talk. It's like 15 minutes uh, that I can, I'll, I'll post it up on, um, on the channel you know, once I get it. So, uh, and then I think, I'm thinking of turning that into a longer talk. So one of my standard talks will be why freedom or why liberty. Or if you guys have a really sexy, cool title for talks like that, uh, let me know. Basically my explanation for why is because you want to pursue your happiness. And if you want to pursue your happiness, living under freedom is the path. Um, so I, I, I make it into kind of your selfish motivation. Jonathan, thank you. Jonathan says, you're on book, the hardest working philosopher in show business. I guess I'm in show business. This is show business, right? So thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for the support. Um, thank you, Theme Master. We'll get to the questions in a minute. Uh, so let's see. Um, yes, so uh, tomorrow I'll be doing a three-hour talk seminar on kind of the morality and purpose and functioning of finance. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to start basically with Twitter. And I'm going to explain like Musk's takeover of Twitter and then describe the financial history of Twitter. So that'll be a good illustration of what venture capital does, why Twitter went public and what the public markets do, what, what's the purpose of going public, how you raise money. And all of this 
will be all of that will be a good illustration of the uh, the role financial markets make uh, in 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 a capitalist economy or in a, in a market economy, and uh, their productive function, the value that they present. So I'm going to use Twitter and maybe Moderna as two of my examples. Uh, two of my examples for this. So that that'll be tomorrow. Um, since I last talked to you in Prague, uh, I've given talks in through this uh, uh, roadshow. We've done talks in. Uh, uh, Bratislava in Slovakia. My big beef with Slovakia is, it's like I always complain to the people in Slovakia is, why do they exist? Why is there a country called Slovakia? Why weren't they happy being Czechoslovakia and having the Czech and the Slovaks one country? Ayn Rand wrote about this um, in her essay on balkanization. On, on every little ethnic group, every little linguistic group, every little whatever group, every little tribal group, wanting their own country, and the disastrous consequences of that. And uh, so I, I, I never understood why the Czech Republic and Slovakia are not one country called Czechoslovakia, as they have been historically, at least uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And there's no reason they can't be again. The culture is so similar, language is very similar. Um, it would be a bigger country, it would be more substantial, had a bigger economy, there'd be more options, there'd be more opportunities. Um, in every respect, it would be good. Plus, Slovakia would have been benefited from the relative free market policies of, uh, of the Czech Republic. Then from Slovakia, uh, we flew to Poland and we did an event in Warsaw at the Liberty Pub. The Liberty Pub is a pub dedicated to liberty. It has uh, a copy of Atlas Shrugged, uh, uh, hung up among the bottles of liquor. Uh, it's clearly influenced by Atlas Shrugged. There's a Goltz Gin as one of the cocktails. You can order a Goltz Gin. I'm not sure what makes it a Goltz Gin versus anybody else's gin. Uh, so we did an event there, and then uh, finally we flew to Tbilisi. It was a kind of a horrible flight. Left at midnight, left Warsaw at midnight, landed in Tbilisi um, at, at around 5 o'clock, 530 AM, so didn't really get any sleep that night. So it's it's I'm tired. It's been a it's been a journey, popping from place to place to place to place. Trains and uh, cars and uh, trains, planes and automobiles. Yes, it's trains, planes and automobiles. Anyway, so um, that's what's been happening in the last week. Just to fill you in. Now, as many of you know, I really like Georgia. I'm a big fan of Tbilisi. I'm a big fan of Georgia. Uh, Georgia is uh, one of these countries that is, is unique in that in the mid-2000s, in the mid-2000s, there was a government in Georgia, Georgia that was basically dedicated to free markets. Maybe the most radical government we have seen in the last 50, maybe in the last 100 years, I don't know, but, it, but it clearly a really radical government. Not a government that kind of mealy-mouthed you know, freedom and liberty and free markets and it does nothing or spends like crazy. No, a government that absolutely, completely deregulated the economy. A government that in order to rid the country of corruption basically fired every policeman in the country and started from scratch. And today Georgia is not a very corrupt country, even though it used to be one of the the most corrupt countries. Um, It is... um, 
it is a country that, um, for example, deregulated its um, its health market. So it's one of if it's one of it's right at the top of the most free market healthcare systems in the world. So in Georgia, you have free uh, you have uh, private hospitals, private doctors, uh, private insurance. You have you know not perfect, but you have an incredibly free healthcare system, particularly as compared to its European neighbors. Well, not so neighbors, but but to the rest of Europe. Interesting. Last night I had dinner with with a couple of people from Free University, and they invited a friend, and this friend happened to be the only person in human history, as far as we can tell, who has been the health minister in two different countries. He was the health minister in Georgia in the mid-2000s, and the man responsible for completely privatizing the Georgian health system. And he was the health minister in Ukraine uh, post-2015. Not in the most recent government, but in the government before that. And in Ukraine, he tried to privatize the healthcare system unsuccessfully, unfortunately. Uh, so it was fascinating to talk to him. So first, importantly, He's a man who was influenced by Atlas Shrugged. He's somebody who's read Atlas Shrugged, inspired by Atlas Shrugged, loved Atlas Shrugged, and to a large extent the free market ideology that he holds and implemented in a place like Georgia was a consequence of Atlas Shrugged. He's also a man that was influenced heavily by a famous Georgian uh, um, who was part of that government in uh, the early 2000s and uh, was really the force, the power, the energy around completely liberalizing the Georgian economy. And they did amazing things. They, they privatized the healthcare system. They, they changed the educational system to de-emphasize public schools. It's not as we would like it to be, but it's, it's again, much better than many other countries. Um, they uh, did away with things like workplace regulations, like food inspectors, many of the regulations that exist kind of everywhere, in every country. They did away with and Georgia thrived. Georgia became one of the most successful countries uh, uh, in the world in terms of economic growth, in terms of uh, uh, success. And, and you go into Belize and you can see that this was a very, very poor country that is slowly coming out of that poverty and succeeding. And to a large extent, that is a consequence of the unbelievable liberalization, liberalization that this, um, this country went through primarily as a consequence. Um, a consequence of, uh, of this guy, Kaha, Kaha, and I can't pronounce his family name, um, who also founded Free University, owned Free University. His daughter today runs it. Uh, so, uh, so, so Kaha is a real hero in Georgia, and I think uh, a real hero uh, to all of us. Yeah, Saba, Saba says, his name is Kaha. Yes, Kaha, but if you can write his family name in a way that I can pronounce it, I will do it justice and actually uh, give him credit, uh, give him credit for it also. Um, is a legend, and, and you see photos of him everywhere where you go, where people value free markets. Uh, everybody, everybody you talk to about free markets was his friend and, and associate and was inspired by him. Um, and it was, uh, it was a truly inspiring guy. Unfortunately, I didn't meet him by the time I arrived in Georgia, my first trip to Georgia, unfortunately, he'd already passed away. This is, I think, my fifth trip 
trip to Georgia. The events here are always fantastic. The hospitality is amazing. The food and the wine are terrific. And I very much enjoy uh, my uh, my visits uh, to uh, Georgia. So, um, I mean, if you're looking for people, particularly young people, inspired by the ideas of liberty, inspired by freedom, inspired by Ayn Rand, places like Ukraine, places like Georgia, places like Poland, Eastern European, former communist Eastern European countries are places where you'll find more of that than you will in France or Germany or, or even in the United States, I think, on a per capita basis. So um, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's inspiring. I encourage you guys to travel. I encourage you guys to come to Eastern Europe, uh, you know, visit, for example, in Poland. There, as I said, there's the Liberty Lounge, the Liberty Pub. Go get a beer at the Liberty Pub. Get a gold to gin. Talk to them about Ayn Rand. Talk to them about free market ideas. I think it will inspire you. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to tomorrow doing this finance seminar here. From here, I fly to Tallinn in Estonia. I've never been to Estonia, so this will be my first visit. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, where I'll be doing a talk. Uh, on, I think, energy, free market, free markets and energy, uh, particularly in the European context and dependence on Russia. Then from there, I'm going to go to the UK where I'm giving a talk at Oxford. I'm giving a talk at a high school in London. And then I'm giving a talk at the Institute for Economic Affairs um, for the Hayek Society of the LSC and the Hayek Society of King's College. So busy week, uh, busy couple of weeks. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to be on vacation a little bit going to relax, going to enjoy London, going to go go eat at good restaurants, go see some concerts, maybe a play or two, and then off to Spain to to uh, uh, spend some time with, uh, with my wife. Um, all right, let's see. Okay, coming in. All right. Anyway, uh, that's a quick update on kind of Georgia, travels, where I am, and all of that. Uh, the first topic I want to talk about quickly is, is Ukraine. Um, you know, I've, I have pretty strong opinions about Ukraine and about Russia and about what is going on in Ukraine. I'm clearly anti-Russia. I think Russia's are the villains, uh, unequivocally the villains. I think Ukraine, with all its faults, with all its problems is definitely uh, the good guys. They are the good guys in this conflict. And, uh, you know, it's nice to talk to people who actually have lived in Ukraine. It's nice to talk to people in Georgia who, in a sense, they don't have a, a stake in Ukraine, but they have a stake with regard to Russia. So you talk to, you talk to Georgians. And, of course, Georgia was invaded by Russia. No provocation. No reason for Russia to invade. Was invaded by Russia in 2008, and a big chunk of Georgia was taken by the Russians, declared an autonomous region and taken for Russia. They, as, as somebody said in one of the talks today, there are literally Russian troops an hour from where I am right now, an hour from my hotel room. There are Russian tanks, there are Russian troops, there are Russian missiles, there are Russian artillery, an hour from Tbilisi. Russia in this area is the aggressor. Russia in this area are the imperialists. Russia in this area is the bully. And if you don't, if you don't know whether what you're reading in the mainstream media in America is true or not, come to Georgia and talk to some Georgians about Russia 
and you'll get a little bit of perspective. Now, the interesting thing is that the Georgian government is so afraid of Russia that they are borderline pro-Russia, and they've not taken a stand, certainly not taken a stand against Russia. So don't forward me the nonsense propaganda coming out of Russia in terms of that they're the victim, that they did this because NATO. First of all, any country has a right to form any alliances it wants. Ukraine was an autonomous country. It did not have to ask Russia's permission to join NATO or any other alliance. People talk about the Azov Brigade being neo-Nazis. Yeah, in 2014, there were some neo-Nazis associated with them, maybe even some of their leadership. But, you know, the current leadership is, the current uh, Azov Brigades are, are, are run by a couple of Georgians. I ask people who know them, hey, are these guys neo-Nazis? No. There were some bad apples. They might still be bad apples. There might still be neo-Nazis in the Azov Brigade. But the brigade in and of itself is not neo-Nazis. All of that is nonsense. Uh, The Georgians here, everybody I talk to, there's one unanimous view, and that is that Ukraine has to win this. And that the best thing that could happen, not only for Georgia, but for Western Europe, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is for Ukrainians to kick ass, to really defeat and destroy the Russians, to push the Russians back. That would embolden the Georgians. That would embolden other oppressed people in this area. That will shrink the bully back to size. And I think they're absolutely right. The best thing that could happen is for Ukraine to win this war. And I have to say that I uh, completely support uh, the, 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 the Biden administration and, um, and uh, the other Western countries that are sending troops uh, to Ukraine and helping the Ukrainians uh, through providing them with, with, with weapons to defeat the Russians in any way that they can. Russia... Russia is a, 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 an evil player in this region. It needs to be. It needs to be put down. It needs to be put down. This regime needs to be destroyed. And Russians' neighbors need to be liberated from fear. And Ukraine right now, amazingly, is in a position to do exactly that. West through it. $50 just showing support. Thank you for the shows. Absolutely. Thank you, Wes. Really appreciate it. Uh, as you know, uh, you can use the Super Chat to ask questions or just support the show like Wes did. 
we, we try to raise $600 every show. I know because I do these shows last minute because the timing of the show is not super convenient and not a lot of people watching live. We're unlikely to reach $600 today. But anything you do is greatly appreciated. Uh, the Iran Book Show has lost significant revenue as I travel around uh, Europe and as I was sick uh, in the middle of April so that uh, we haven't done as many shows and we haven't generated as much income as we have in the past. I don't think anybody's keeping track of the dollars today, but I think we're probably at 100 and uh, maybe 150, maybe 140, 130, something like that. Um Thomas Schubert says, Ivania's Kissin's essay uh, needs 100,000 reprints. It needs 100 million reprints. It needs to be, everybody needs to read it. It needs to be distributed widely. And I think it would be viewed very positively in Eastern Europe and in places like Georgia. Um, but it, it needs to get out there. It needs to be distributed. And it's, it's, um, it's uh, truly, uh, it was truly a brilliant essay. It's the one I read to you when I was in uh, when I was in Prague. Uh, it really inspired me. Really fantastic. Uh, one other thing I want to say about Ukraine, and this is this may be controversial, but but I, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, for a variety of reasons. But I'll just say this: I don't think, I don't believe, and and I've, I've hinted at this in the past, so I don't think this is a big change of mind. I don't like the policy of sanctions against individuals, particularly whether those individuals are businessmen, even when those individuals are oligarchs. And the reason for that is that I don't trust the government, our governments, to identify who are the oligarchs or who are just businessmen. I don't trust our governments to identify who should be sanctioned and who should not. I think that if a bad actor like Russia comes on the scene, it should be boycotted completely. No trade. No, well, it looks like we've got, let me, uh, let me know if, um, if the video is still working. Anyway, no trade, no diplomatic relations. I, I mean, they should be just boycotted, but not individuals picked and then boycotted. And now it's not even boycott. It's gotten much worse. Western countries are literally confiscating their wealth. They're stealing their stuff without due process, without the rule of law, without providing evidence or proof to any kind of establishment that they are justified in seizing this property. So I don't know if you read about the story of one of the oligarchs had his yacht go to Fiji, and the American government is going to Fiji and arranging with Fiji and they're going to take the yacht, they're going to sell it, and the money is not going to go into some trust that the oligarch can get one day. No, the money is now the United States government's money. And that is true now. There's talk about this happening even for financial assets where certain jurisdictions are literally seizing the assets, taking them from the oligarchs, not freezing them, but taking them. The oligarchs will never see them again. Now, again, I have no sympathy for bad guys people who chain their wealth through theft or through, you know, uh, manipulating the system to get it at the expense of other people. But if you're going to take somebody's money, somebody's yacht, somebody's wealth, somebody's companies, whatever it happens to be, 
you better have proof that they were the bad guy. You better have a legal system that allows him to defend himself. You better have a legal system that arbitrates objectively about who gets punished. But today we have a system where the UK sanctions some people, the United States sanctions other people, the Cayman Islands sanctions the same as the UK mostly. The Isle of Jersey does something else. This jurisdiction does that. That Israel does something else. China, whatever, does it, it's absurd. And each one decides. Hmm, I wonder whose money I can take today. I wonder how much can be taken. So I become very anti-sanctions as a consequence. Again, embargo. Don't let them in. Don't let them in. Put them on trial. Put them on trial. If they've violated. The law, they've stolen, they've exploited, they've done something. But you can't just confiscate arbitrarily. You can't, I don't trust the government to not be arbitrary in terms of who they confiscate from and who not. So much of it, if you leave it up to the government, is going to be based on who you know. Who's got more influence? Who's got more say? Okay, so I just want to say that about uh, Russian sanctions. Again, that does not mitigate in any respect my complete support for the Ukrainians and my complete uh, disgust at what Russia is doing and everything about this Russian regime, this Russian leadership is disgusting, offensive, immoral. All right. So um, before I go to the Super Chat questions, we've got quite a few of them. Uh, and we are $200, so we've got a few because we've got a lot of little ones, but uh, we do have quite a few questions. We'll get to those in a minute. Um, uh, one of them says, Victor uh, Suvov said that the GRU used these yachts to move stolen Western military equipment. Okay, prove it. <laughs> you can't just state it and then act on it and just confiscate it without evidence, without some kind of legal process. There has to be some objective legal process that says these are bad guys, those are not. Now, they might be Putin's puppets. If they're Putin's puppets, take everything from them. Right? But there has to be a process by which you decide who to believe and who not, who to sanction and who not, who to take this stuff and who not. And right now the process is not objective. Not objective. Um, and just boycott them. Tell them they can't come into your country. Don't give them visas. Don't allow them into your airports. Whatever. All kinds of things to isolate them. I just don't like this notion of arbitrarily seizing their wealth, seizing their assets. Whether it's justifiable or not needs to be determined by some kind of objective rule of law, not by some kind of emergency powers that Biden or Johnson or any of these other little dictators take upon themselves. Putin, by the way, is a big dictator. These guys are little dictators. All right. Um, I'm not sure the internet connection is going to hold for very long. So I, I will, if, if, if I lose you guys, I will save the Super Chat questions and I'll answer them another time for not answering them today. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, I wanted to comment on two quick things. I don't think this will take long. I did want to note that um, earlier this week, the uh, uh, you know the Treasury Department announced that, uh, or whoever announces it in the government, that the U.S. economy shrunk 
For the first time since 2020, the U.S. economy shrunk, uh, not by a lot, 1.4%, but but still, uh, you have negative GDP growth in the quarter, uh, which does not bode well. That's before the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates. Significantly, you're going to see many more increases moving into the months ahead. So we've already entered a, a very, very weak, econ- weak economic times even before the Fed starts sucking money out of the economy and raising interest rates. Uh, there is a recession. It seems that it's coming. It, what is surprising is that it's coming faster than what people expected. I think the general expectation, my expectation was, that the Fed was trying to delay the recession until after the midterms. We could get a recession before the midterms. If we get a recession before the midterms, it's likely that the Republican sweep will be even bigger than, uh, what, than uh, what we have now. And at the pace at which the Fed is raising interest rates, very slow pace, uh, we're likely to have at least uh, over a period stagflation where you have both economic contraction and inflation. Uh, so we will see, but it's very bad economic news. And again, I don't think you need me to tell you that all of this is a consequence of statism, of government intervention in the economy, of central, central planning, all the way. So uh, our economy is starting to shrink. Scary, given that there's no, you know, this is not because of the war, right? The war would not cause it to shrink. Energy prices are going up, but that in and of itself is not enough to bring the United States into a recession. Uh, This is something deeper, more meaningful. Uh, It is a complete change in sentiment. Some of that might be part of war, but I think it's much more than that. I think it's inflation. I think it's people's response to the inflation. People are afraid. Entrepreneurial activity shrinks during inflation. People were spending last year quite a bit. Uh, but so it was in the first quarter quite a bit. But whether entrepreneurial activity was keeping up, whether businesses were expanding, uh, and um, obviously there are real weaknesses in the economy and we might get a recession earlier than we expect. Okay, finally, I want to talk about this Evil, 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 evil proposal by the, not proposal, it's done deal by the Biden administration. You know, I often criticize the right for hyperbole, for being hysteric, for, 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 for taking things out of proportion, for uh, attacking the left um, in, in a kind of hysterical way. Well, here, go for it. You can be as hysterical as you want because it's justified. So earlier this week, the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Homeland Security, told Congress that uh, the agency was creating a, quote, disinformation governance board to combat, quote, misinformation, they say coming from Russia as we near the year's midterm election. So this committee will be headed by a disinformation fellow I think they should call her a disinformation czar. Or even better, I think they should call her a truth czar. Of course, she comes from a leftist think tank named after Woodrow Wilson. Look, there is nothing more important than free speech. There's no value more important fighting for than free speech. And as I've said over and over and over again, It is only really government 
they can censor. I don't consider what happens on Twitter a free speech issue, uh, although you could say censorship by proxy, maybe, but then you'd have to prove that it was by proxy. But explicit government intervention in free speech, explicit government sanction of speech, like DeSantis did to Disney. And I know a lot of you didn't like the show I did where I condemned DeSantis, but you know what? Tough. You guys don't understand what liberty and freedom require. Um, and, and DeSantis didn't take any particular rights and privileges Disney had. On the contrary, Disney just had the ability to govern the property that it owned. It had property rights. It was freer. You didn't take any privilege they had. You took away their freedom. DeSantis took away their freedom because they said something he didn't like. And that's pretty disgusting. And, and, and almost, maybe, a good enough reason not to vote for the guy. But now, the, and by the way, he's one of the biggest critics of this Biden administration disinformation governance board that they put it together, right? I see Nathan Smith ask a question about this. Any thoughts on Biden disinformation governance board? Yes, Nathan, you are reading my mind. This is exactly what I was going to talk about. This is a true evil. And look, I'm not worried about what Biden's going to do with it. It's, it's going to be pretty weak. It's going to be ineffectual. It's in the Department of Homeland Security, which is impotent. It's, it, it, they won't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with it. What's scary is the precedent. What's scary is that you've created a board in Department of Homeland Security, a department that explicitly has guns that is responsible for what is true and what is not, what is information and what is disinformation. You're getting the government involved directly into issues of speech that they have no business in. You're getting the government involved directly into what is true and what is not true. And we know, we know that almost everything coming out from a politician's mouth is a lie. We know that Biden lies all the time. We know that Trump made lying an art form. We know that every one of these politicians lie, 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 lie. Will they ever label their lies disinformation? Of course not. But who will they label disinformation? Well, they're critics. This is the direct attack on freedom, a direct attack on liberty, a direct attack on the fundamental principle, on the fundamental value that undermines liberty and freedom. And that is the ability to think, the ability to speak, the ability to publish And to give government this power, this is the ultimate evil. I don't have a problem with Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or any of these private platforms deciding what they carry and what they don't carry. I'd like it to be more objectively presented so I know what they will carry and what they won't. But when it's the government's doing, it is beyond the pale. God, I've just lost half of the people watching live just disappeared. Did I say something that offended anybody? Maybe I said something nasty about Trump and that scared them away. Now, what scares me is not what the Biden administration is going to do with it. It's going to be a joke coming out of the Biden administration. They can't get anything right. 
Right, the connection is wonky. I, I apologize if it's glitching, and uh, and the connection is is uh, is not great. But it, I, I'm using the bandwidth I have. The bandwidth is not great here, so uh, it is what it is. So sorry about that. Hopefully, hopefully it's still all online. It's still going. So what scares me is that once you establish an agency like this, it will never go away. No administration is going to come into office and do away with it. And I challenge, I challenge DeSantis now, publicly. And you should do it on Twitter. You should all challenge DeSantis on Twitter. DeSantis has come out, did a press conference today condemning this department, condemning this new disinformation department, condemning it as truth zone, agency of truth. Well, DeSantis, do you commit do you commit to bind yourself to this commitment that if you become president of the United States, you will dismantle this entity? Now, I think we should demand that of everybody running for president, certainly anybody on the Republican side. A commitment, a commitment to dismantling this, because what scares me is how this will be used by Republicans in the future. I mean, do you think Donald Trump would want to dismantle this? Or would he want to use this against the Washington Post? Against any enemy he could find, or against anybody who criticizes him, against anybody who claims that he is lying or wrong? It's What scares me is when you have an effectual president, somebody who knows what they're doing, using this as a tool to destroy the enemies. Now, at least for now, we have a Supreme Court that is going to uphold the values of free speech, I think. But even that could change. This is an incredibly dangerous thing. This is something we should be talking about. This is something we should be demanding our politicians to commit that if they win the presidency, they will dismantle it. They will get rid of it. This should be a primary focus for all of us to get rid of this agency. It is truly evil, truly destructive, truly undermining of everything that the Founding Fathers created in this country. All right. I think, I think uh, that's it. I think I'll do uh, the, the, the questions now. Uh, we'll do some super chat. I am tired. I apologize, but I'm tired. Um, also, I know the internet connection is not, is not, um, is not that good. I'm going to be- Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. At here, that if DeSantis becomes president, he does not dismantle this agency. In spite of being one of the first people to come out against it, I'm going to bet that he does not dismantle it, but use, maybe changes its name, but uses it. It's about power. And politicians never reduce their own power. They never dismantle agencies that give them more power. 
Uh, it is late here, guys. It is uh, 20 to 11. All right. Uh, so, where are we? We're uh, at about $250. So, we're 350 short of our goal of 600 Again, I, I'm not surprised given that we don't have that many people watching live, given the, the time and, and, and the, the almost no notice. Uh, I'm going to go through these questions, and then I'm going to go to bed. Good call, Christopher. All right, theme has to ask. Hi, Iran. I've had COVID for two days, and since today I've been taking vitamin C and D3, elemental zinc, quercetin, NAC, lots of water and ventilation, which was advice from Raja Sehult, MD. Was there anything else you took that helped? I'm looking into a pulse oximeter test to see if I'm good for antibiotics, for antibodies, uh, but not sure I can get them from UK. I would get, uh, but I would get them today since you're only two days into this. You've got to hit this early is get the, the, uh, the Pfizer medication. I forget what it's called, uh, Praxiloid, Praxiloid. But if you take Praxiloid as soon as you get COVID symptoms, it's the best medication you can have uh, for COVID. So get Praxiloid the sooner the better. If you can, in, in the United States, they're sitting at the pharmacy shelf and, and nobody's using them uh, for some silly reason. But it's better than all the things you're taking. None of the things you're taking are bad. They're all marginally going to make you feel a little better. But the thing that actually actually goes after uh, COVID is uh, Pax, Paxlovid. Ian says Paxlovid. Uh, it's a pill. It's an antiviral. It's put out by Pfizer. And clinical trials were amazing. Just amazing in terms of how well the, how well the pill worked. So... I encourage you. Uh, nothing really helped me. I mean, it was it was a bad cold. I mean, I took the vitamin D. I took the vitamin C. I took the zinc. I don't think any of them helped. I think basically, I just it just overcame it. Uh, it was a bad cold, and it it, it went away. Uh, and uh, but Pax, uh, Paxlovid, Paxlovid, uh, definitely take that uh, by far. I think from all the trials I've seen, that is the best. By the way, have you guys seen the latest article? The, what was the name of the drug that everybody was claiming was the miracle drug against COVID? Um, the one that was an anti, uh, uh, anti um, ivermectin. Thank you, ivermectin. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but there is a, the latest journal article about ivermectin, uh, a, a comprehensive, large study done in Brazil where ivermectin was plentiful and was given to, to a lot of patients by doctors, showed that ivermectin had no effect, none, zero, nada, on preventing hospitalization. That is, uh, once you got COVID and you took ivermectin, the same number of people controlling for other factors as you do the empirics properly, controlling for other factors, the same number of people ended up in hospital in the group that took ivermectin, the same number of people didn't. Ivermectin is completely bogus as treatment for COVID. And I, I think we knew that months and months ago, but people are still holding on, and I still see people prescribing it, and I still see people swearing by it and taking it and, and engaged by it. A big study, thousands of people from Brazil, which was very pro-Ivermectin and was handing out Ivermectin like it was candy. It didn't work, guys. Didn't work. All right, let's see. The paper was published in the New England Journal of Medicine a couple of weeks ago. So uh, 
just looked up ivermectin New England Journal of Medicine or, or look ivermectin Brazil study or you could Google in a number of different ways you'll find it. it, it I, I saw the study a couple of weeks ago. I was going to mention it, but I, I forgot. Plus, I'm sick of the whole topic. Um, and then um, it came up on my Google News feed just the other day. So and since we were talking about COVID, it prompted me to think about it. But you can, uh, you can, you can find it online pretty easily. Yeah, ivermectin doesn't hurt you. But why take stuff that isn't helping you? Ivermectin doesn't help you. So I don't take stuff that's not going to help me, uh, where, the, where the science is, is pretty clear that it's not going to help me. All right, well, let's do that another time. Let's see, $5 question, five, $20 question. We are all so fragile, life is fragile, and yet simultaneously survive so much. Yes, life is fragile, but, but importantly, we can survive. Human beings are very good at survival. I mean, a lot of people survived Auschwitz. But the point is we don't just want to survive as just an animal, as a biological entity. We want to thrive. We want to achieve happiness. We want to achieve the best life possible to man. And for that, we need freedom. And this is my talk today that I gave on why freedom. Why freedom? Because I want to live. Live with a capital L. I want to be happy. I want to thrive. And to thrive, you need to be able to make choices. You need to be able to pursue your values. You need to be able to be free to do what you think is right. If you want to take Avermectin, take Avermectin. Not that that will lead to happiness, quite the contrary. So, freedom is crucial. Freedom is essential. By the way, I think I think uh, I think one of Fina was making fun of me by saying, "Doctor Brooke, I am a Doctor Brooke, not a medical doctor. I do come from a family of doctors, so the Doctor Brooke, my dad, uh, would back everything I said about ivermectin up. Uh, but the fact is, I am a doctor, and, and one of the things I studied as a doctor is statistics and how to look at papers and how to evaluate papers. I'm not a healthcare physician, but I can read a paper and see if." The methodology makes sense and methodology doesn't make sense. That I can do at least to some extent. Um, so you, you can make fun of me all you want uh, as, as a, a Dr. Brooke, but I can tell when a study is completely nonsense and I can tell when a study is reasonable. Not to the nth degree, but to a point. And I can tell when people are writing about particular studies when we're dealing with statistics are good and when they're not. And I've tried to do that throughout COVID. Um, most of you, many of you uh, ignored it, uh, but all I can give you is the best analysis I can provide, not more than that, based on the fact that I am a doctor of finance with some study of statistics. All right, we are at, yeah, $300. Be great if we could raise another $300. That would be fantastic. Uh, so if anybody wants to put in a big chunk of money to wrap up April, Get us, get us in April over there. Oh, there's Ragnar of the Desert just did that. Thank you, Ragnar of the Desert. I don't have to bug you guys anymore. Ragnar often does that, just comes in, gets us to the target. And, and, and so thank you, really appreciate that. Um, all right, Ashton uh, for $50 asks, history has shown that when nations use reason and rational moral behavior in conducting warfare, they end up victorious. 
Putin and his armies have showed neither reason nor good moral behavior. Uh, therefore, their defeat in Ukraine is inevitable. I, I'd say more than that. And I said this on the first day of the war. Authoritarian regimes are not good at war. It's not an accident Hitler lost. It's not an accident the Soviet Union collapsed. Over the long run, authoritarianism is not sustainable. People talk about sustainability. The most sustainable thing is freedom and capitalism. Authoritarianism is not sustainable. It is destructive. It it cannot produce. It cannot create. It cannot innovate. It cannot expand. So it produces inferior products, inferior weapons. It produces soldiers with low morale. It has to lose because it's authoritarian. And the moral is the practical. Immoral systems don't work. They don't work in peacetime and they don't work in wartime. They don't work. So, I have no doubt that Russia will ultimately lose. And in one way or another, I think they've already lost, as I've told you, if the goal is to keep NATO away, they've lost, because Finland and Sweden are likely to become NATO members. If their goal was uh, to quickly defeat the Ukrainians and replace the regime there, they have lost, because they didn't achieve that. Uh, if their goal was to show how mighty their military is and to force other countries to cower before them, they have lost because all they've proven to the world is how pathetic their military is and how badly equipped it is. If their goal was to show how good their weapons are so they could sell them to other countries, they've lost. Nobody should buy their MiG planes and their T-80s or T-90s or T-72s because they're pathetic and off. What everybody should buy is Western military equipment that is so easily defeating the Russian equipment. So uh, I, just, I just read an interview with an uh, uh, F-35, the, the American top-of-the-line stealth fighter, um, uh, F-35 about his estimation of the American Air Force or the American Air Force versus the Russian Army generally. And his assessment was the same as my assessment from a few weeks ago. If the United States was in this war in a conventional war, it would crush the Russians easily. The F-35 is light years ahead of anything the Russians have, anything the Chinese have, but certainly anything the Russians have. They wouldn't even know how to deal with it. The F-35 was designed to evade the anti-aircraft missiles that the Russians have, the S-400, their most advanced system, although they just rolled out the S-500, but I don't think it matters. And, and, it has the ability, as soon as an S-400 battery pings it, start, tries to search it, it can identify the battery, send a missile, and destroy it. So, uh, an Air Force equipped with F-35s would destroy all of the anti-aircraft capacity that the Russian army has, basically dominate the airspace, destroy their fighters, destroy their anti-aircraft missiles, and make their Air Force completely and utterly useless. And without an Air Force, there's no way a modern army can win. All right. Um, 
Anyway, I don't, I don't even remember how we got to that topic. Oh, we've got another, we've got more $20 questions here. How did I skip these? Okay, Colt Savage asks, I felt betrayed by the conservatives and libertarians in support of Russia. However, the ordinary conservative in my community has been supportive of Ukraine. Is there a disconnect between pundits and ordinary people? Absolutely. But it's only some pundits. Most of the pundits support Ukraine. But there is an element of, particularly on the Trump side, but there is an element of nationalist paleo-conservatives and nationalist paleo-libertarians, although that should be a contradiction in terms, who are anti-freedom, who are anti-Western, who are fundamentally anti-American. Uh, they're associated on the libertarian side with the Von Mises Institute, they're associated on the Republican side, on the conservative side, with national conservatives, with the Catholic, with the new Catholic um, uh, traditionalists. These are people who are fundamentally anti the America of the founding fathers. They are all religious, both the libertarians and the conservatives. And they're anti-liberty. They're anti-freedom. They're nationalists. They're traditionalists. They're religionists. So it is shocking, shocking and unthinkable that so many conservatives have now unmasked themselves and revealed their real soul, their real nature. Your position on Russia reveals a lot. Russia are the bad guys here. And if you can't see that, if you can't see the initiation of forces evil, if you can't see that Russia is not acting in self-defense, but is initiating force against its neighbor, then you better get a good pair of glasses. Glasses for the brain. <laughs> Why do they support Russia? They support Russia because they admire strongmen. They support Russia because Putin is anti-woke. They support Russia because they admire Putin's strength, although... He's proved to be pretty pathetic. But they, uh, 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 they admire his use of muscle, his use of force. They admire the fact that he's willing to kill his opponents, to silence them. They admire his nationalism, his willingness to use religion and national mythology in order to promote his cause. They admire him because he's anti-freedom and anti-liberty and anti-liberalism, because they reject liberalism, liberalism in a positive sense, classical liberalism. They reject individualism. So why? Why do they love Russia? Because they're anti-individualist, collectivist, nationalist, irrationalist, mystics. That's why. There is no rational reason to support Russia. Russia rationally is the villain. Okay, Liam asks, have you read Immanuel Kant's essay, Perpetual Peace? This insanity seems to be the standard for dealing with foreign aggressors. Um, no, I have not uh, read uh, Kant's uh, essay on Perpetual Peace, sorry. And I'm not sure which insanity you're talking about. Uh, appeasement? So I'm not sure exactly which. Um. Thomas Shubatum says, but what about the poor? Well, the poor are better under liberty and freedom under the capitalism. And Bree says, 
If you were only concerned about the poor, would you fight inflation or recession? I think inflation is more damaging than recession, but it's a close call. Biden will not do either or make both worse. I, I don't think you have an option. I think you have to fight inflation, even if you're only concerned about the poor, because you have to think long term. And uh, long term means fighting inflation. And then once recession happens caused by the inflation, fighting recession. You have to take them sequentially. You have no option. So here you have to think long term versus short term. Both are damaging to the poor and to everybody else short term. Long term, you have to deal with both elements. And the first one to deal with, because it's easiest, is to deal with inflation. It's relatively easy to deal with inflation. Why should Ukraine, so somebody says if Ukraine chose neutrality, why should Ukraine choose neutrality? If it's not neutral. If the Ukrainian people don't want to be neutral. If they want to be affiliated with West. If they are afraid that Russia would invade them even if they're neutral. Not an unfounded fear. Why should they be neutral? Why shouldn't they sign a defense pact with people who feel similar to them, like the Poles, NATO in other words, who fear Russian aggression? Why should they give in to the Russian demands to be neutral? Why does Russia have legitimate demands? It doesn't. It's an authoritarian, aggressive state. It invaded Georgia. Was Georgia a threat to Russia? Have you ever seen how small Georgia is relative to Russia? How small the population of Georgia is relative to Russia? I mean, Ukraine is mighty and huge and massive population as compared to Georgia. And yet, the Russians invaded Georgia. And once the Russians invaded Georgia, and then took Crimea, any rational individual would fear that Russia would be an aggressor. So, why is Ukraine excluded from the right to decide its own fate? Why is Ukraine excluded from the right to decide who to ally itself with, who to sign treaties with. Why does Ukraine have to be relegated to being under the boot of Russia, which is what neutrality means? Because what if Russia does something to Ukraine that Ukraine doesn't like? Well, it has to be neutral. And it can't ask for anybody's help because it has to be neutral. It's absurd and ridiculous for any country in the world to declare itself neutral. Is Finland and Sweden really neutral? even though they're not members of NATO? Of course not. They're Western countries. They hate the Russians. So, Russia is the bad guy here, unequivocally. Neutrality is not a value. And to force somebody to be neutral? Why? Why should any individual... If you as an individual are neutral between people who want to help you and people who want to hurt you, you should be neutral between the two. People who want to shoot you and people who want to, maybe the police, to protect you, of course you're not neutral. Nobody should be neutral. There's no such thing as neutrality. And neutrality in this case doesn't mean neutrality. It means the boot of Russia on your neck. It means doing what Putin tells you to do. It means subjugating your own people to foreign authoritarian.
compare the United States to Russia is dishonest. It's an utter dishonesty. And this is what conservatives and paleo-libertarians do. With all the United States problems, with all the difficulties, the United States is a million times better than Russia in every aspect and a million times freer than Russia. So if you're going to be under anybody's influence, wouldn't you rather be under the influence of a free, relatively free Western country than under the, the, the dictatorship, authoritarianism of a Putin? I find the whole, yeah, anyway, I find the whole support for Russia truly, truly offensive. All right, a bunch of five, ten dollar questions. Jacob, thank you, really appreciate the support. We at 600, we could go to a thousand, guys. There's nothing stopping us, so feel free. Uh, okay, quickly, how do you manage jet lag? Um, sleep. Uh, melatonin, sleep and melatonin. So uh, I try to, uh, if, if it's a night flight to Europe, I try to drag out the day and go to sleep the first day at night with melatonin, second night with melatonin, just to get my body into the rhythm of the right, of the right uh, hours. The problem in this trip is both I took a day flight, which kind of screwed me up. Then I watched a basketball game because I watched the Celtics late into the night. Uh, so I went to sleep really, really late. So I missed kind of the cycle. And then the flight to Tbilisi screwed up my schedule again. So I've been battling uh, jet lag and just being tired most of this trip. But, you know, it, it hasn't been awful and it, it doesn't affect my ability to uh, to, to lecture and to, to give talks. And um, tomorrow I'm speaking for three hours and I think, I think we'll be fine. Okay, Michael asks, what's the difference between moods and emotions? I think moods are more complicated phenomena of consciousness. They're combinations of moods. Uh, they're a state of consciousness. For example, happiness uh, is, is more similar to a mood, I think, than to an emotion. It's a state of consciousness. Uh, more complex uh, combination of emotions. Uh, emotions overlay it. Emotions are more short-term. Moods are more long-term. Um, but their the source is very similar, I think. Their response... Uh, to uh, estimation of values. Um, Wyatt says, uh, Rand said, to condemn without giving reasons is the act of irresponsibility, a kind of moral hit and run. Uh, is that at odds with ARI's views of schism? No, not at all. Um, not at all. You know, I'm not sure what, why you think it's at odds, in what way it's at odds, right? Um, before the other side made the conflict public, we didn't condemn publicly, right? We knew the reasons we were doing what we were doing internally. We didn't make any of it public. We didn't deem it worthy of making public. Uh, we didn't think it was necessary to make it public. We separated from these other people, did our own thing. They did their thing. We, they made it public. So, and I think, and the point that we are making is that um, that we don't need to condemn them because I think if you read what they wrote 
attacking me and attacking the Einstein Institute, they condemn themselves. I think it's pretty clear that they're the bad guys, that what they wrote was not objective, that what they wrote was nonsense and, and anti-objectivist uh, and just, just ridiculous. But you judge, you know. And, and, you know, even now we've given a few reasons, but the reasons is their statement. Go read their statement. That's the reason. I don't, I don't need to give you more than that. If you can't figure out why they are, uh, why uh, they are not people worthy of dealing with, based on what they say, then I'm not sure I can help you. And again, I'm not interested in getting into these discussions, getting into these debates, and analyzing them. It's it's just a waste of my time, and I think a waste of your time. Read it, figure it out for yourself. If you want to condemn me or shun me, fine. If you want to, but but decide. Too many people are trying to straddle, and, uh, and and I think there's enough information out there to make a decision. Michael asks, how was Plato able to advocate collectivism without altruism? Um, I think the way you get around that is to, is to believe that what we need altruism, we need... Um, to be guided by philosophy kings, we need to do what we are told because we are blind to the truth. We're incapable of knowing the truth. We're in the cave and we need, we have no choice but to rely on the expertise of the philosopher king to guide us for our own betterment. So uh, to achieve your own well-being, as a ordinary person in the cave, you, you have to do what the philosopher kings tell you. So the motivation to be subservient was not sacrifice, was not pain. The motivation to be subservient was the incapacity of your reason to know reality, to know the truth, and to take care of yourself. And therefore, the, the, the metaphysical dependence that you had, the epistemological dependence that you had, on the philosopher king. That's my quick explanation. Uh, Michael says, is the ACLU an overall good organization? Not anymore. They used to be because they used to defend free speech. They won't defend free speech anymore. They're useless. Michael asks, mysticism seems to be easier to challenge than altruism. Why is that? Because it's sillier. It's more self-evident. Uh, it's more anti-science and people like science and people latch on to science. So I, I think that's the reason. Altruism is has, has it, it's, you need an alternative and they're not, it's not clear to them what the alternative is and how you come up with an alternative. It's not clear that altruism to them that it's anti-science. To me, it's obvious it's anti-science, but it's, it's obvious the anti-science aspect to it. James says, do you, oh, this is $20. How do you not let the haters get you down and discourage you? Does it ever feel like it's you against the world? Yeah, all the time. The biggest, you know, it's you're constantly fighting against the world and to a large extent, it is me against the world. I'm out there. I'm debating and discussing and trying to educate. And even here, right, on this chat, how many people here on the chat are completely ignorant or evading the things that I'm hopefully teaching, communicating and conveying? It's super 
frustrating. Uh, but it's not discouraging because uh, at the end of the day, it, look, if I didn't have any influence on anybody, I, 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 I would stop doing this. It would be too depressing. So, you know, for example, today I was at this um, um, free market roadshow event and I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the corridor, walking towards the bathrooms in the corridor, and this young, turns out Ukrainian girl, runs up to me. Oh, you're on work. I'm so happy to meet you. You've changed my life. I've read all of Ayn Rand's. I listened to your stuff. I've heard your lectures. I love what you do. Um, I came just to hear you speak. This is so amazing. Can I get a selfie? I mean, that's it. That makes my life. That makes it all worthwhile. To hell with the people who don't get it. Their problem, not mine. Not mine. It's the people who get it that I care about. It's the people who get it that motivate me. It's uh, somebody here, what is it? S-H-R-F-M, I can't pronounce it. Says, change my life, you're on. Yeah. It's for you, the people I changed, who I had a positive impact. Not just changed life, just positive impact. It's for you that I do this. It's for me, right? But it's for your feedback that I do this. Not Then... After the event today, we were standing around at the New Economic Center, which is this free market think tank within the University of Georgia, where they have all of Ayn Rand's books in English and then a bunch of books translated in Georgian. They have all of my books. They have John Allison's book. They have Greg Salmieri's book. They have all these objectivist books there surrounding them. And we're talking, and one of the guys who's, who's, who's a professor now, he's a teacher, he says, you know, I, 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 when I was a student here at the university, I came to see you speak six, seven years ago. And, you know, implicit in that was that you inspired, you're inspiring. And, and both the professors, two professors said, you know, a lot of our students follow you. A lot of our students are inspired by you. A lot of our students are reading Ayn Rand because of you. These are people that I'll never meet, people that never say thank you to me. But just knowing, knowing that, that's what it's all about. That's the optimism. That's why I'm positive about the future. To hell with, uh, you know, the, 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 the pro-Putin, pro-Russia apologists on this board who are completely irrational or the, or the Biden administration or, or, or whatever. They're not what matters to me. What matters to me are the people I'm having an influence on. And I am having a huge impact on people out there. And so is ARI and so is Ayn Rand or primarily Ayn Rand, me and ARI, getting them to read Ayn Rand. And it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, again, one of the people at the session today came up and, you know, I've, I've come to your talks in the past in Georgia. I mean, it inspires me. This is great. I'm so motivated. That's what it's all about. Thank you, Anonymous user. I appreciate that. Okay, Michael asks, the Fifth Amendment, is the Fifth Amendment legitimate if you commit a crime... Why do you have a right to remain silent? Um, it's an issue of recriminating yourself. You have a right not, you, you cannot be forced to, 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 to speak, to act. Uh, you know, you cannot be forced to recriminate yourself. I, I think it is legitimate. Do I have an explanation right now? Exactly why? No. Ask me again sometime, maybe when I'm less tired, or maybe when we have a, a legal expert on the, pan, on, on the show with me. Uh, Ian Merkat says, the people calling me a filthy zid are always Putinists, never Banderites? Who's, who are Banderites? I don't know who Banderites are. Yeah, well, 
Putinists are pretty awful people. Uh, Harper Campbell says, not every nation has a right to a future. Not every race has a right to exist. That's Adolf Hitler. Uh, Karl Marx thought something very similar, by the way, in terms of races. He thought, he thought certain, I think he didn't like the Slavs. He thought the Slavs didn't have a right to exist. Anyway, he, he had a very similar view. Putin is basically modeling himself after the Fuhrer. I think that's right. I, 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 I very much, if you want Nazis, the real Nazi is Putin. Putin is as close to as Nazi as a political leader as we have today. Uh, he is about ethnic cleansing. He is about destroying whole people. He is about Mother Russia and the Russian spirit. I gave you quotes from some of his speeches about the mysticism, very similar to the kind of mysticism that Hitler used uh, in describing the Aryan race. Um, Leah Miller says, poverty doesn't exist under capitalism, it's a creation of state. Well, it does exist under capitalism. But the poor under capitalism are the deserving poor. People who are lazy, people who screw up their lives, people who make bad decisions, they land up poor. So poverty exists under capitalism, but under capitalism, the overwhelming majority of the poor are poor because... They caused it. Liam, it's annoying how slowly objectivism is winning. We need a thrust. Yep, absolutely. We do. Harper Campbell, where they burn books, so too will they in the end burn human beings. Yes, and Russia burns books. Thoughts on decloying cats or altering pets. I don't have any thoughts on this. I'm not a pet person. I don't know. It makes sense to me. I don't know how much pain is involved for the animal. It's a pet. You don't want to inflict pain on them. You want to be able to live decent lives. On the other hand, you don't want them scratching you and scratching your furniture. But I don't get pets. So pets are not my thing. I don't really have advice for that. Paul asks, did you see Richard Salzman's discussion of support of Russia's position? What is your opinion about it? Uh, I don't think Russia, I don't think, um, I don't think Richard anymore has the capacity of cognition. I don't think he can think. Uh, I don't think he can, uh, and, and you could see that in, in, his, uh, in his discussion about Russia. The man cannot think anymore. He has, lost, uh, he has lost his capacity to be rational. I think he lost it quite a while ago, uh, but certainly over the last few years, he's, he's become just an emotionalist zombie in some sense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it was disgusting and awful. And the idea that he was a friend of mine once and the idea that he was an objectivist once is horrific. He certainly is not objectivist today. Um, Lyman asks, uh, do you think the, the Russia will use nukes? What would be the proper response? I don't think Russia will use nukes. I, I, I think there's enough people. Um, I think there are enough people in Russia that uh, would stop whoever's in power from using the nukes. I think it would be suicidal, you know, and I think the appropriate response would be um, basically to, uh, to take out the nuclear capabilities of the Russians. I don't think you can stay silent to them using nukes. I, I, I think the primary target in a case like that should be every single nuclear silo that they have. Um, and, and the challenge, of course, is how do, you, how do you delimit it so that it doesn't bring about a complete launch of all their nuclear missiles, 
but it has to be the complete and utter destruction of the capacity of Russia to threaten anybody in the future. So how you do that exactly, I would have to know a lot more about the military capabilities of the United States, a lot more about our anti-missile technology, a lot more about our, our knowledge of where all his missiles are, a lot more about how many, for example, of his missiles and submarines, but uh, nuclear missiles. So I would, you would have to do an analysis, and I, I would say you would have to completely and utterly and unequivocally defang Russia. And, and, and if they use nuclear weapons, it becomes a problem for the United States because, uh, because he has ballistic missiles pointed at the United States. You cannot allow him to, and once he shows that he's willing to use nukes, it has to be all out destruction of the Soviet capability, and millions of people are going to die. Millions of Russians and, million, and probably millions of Westerners are going to die if you do that. But that is the cost of, of unbelievable irrationality and evil that would entail using nuclear weapons in this, uh, in this uh, context. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I really appreciate the support. We made it to 600 bucks. We made it uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a bit over 600 bucks, 635. Um, of course, if you would like to support me, particularly those who don't watch live, uh, the best way to support you on book show is you on slash support. You can do it on Patreon or subscribe star about five to 600. If you support the show, there's uh, these days, there's about 5,000 of you that either listen or watch. So only about 10% of you actually support the show. So it would be fantastic if we got that up to 20% or 30%. Uh, so please consider if you're a, um, if somebody who watches, almost all of you, watches the show not live and can't use a super chat, to go $2 a month, $10 a month. If you can do 100 or 250 or $500 a month, that's amazing. But whatever level you can afford it, whatever level you can the support is greatly appreciated by me. It makes it possible for me to do the show. Somebody asked me, how much of the money you raise in the Super Chat and in, for this is part of your budget for living? All of it. This is my budget for living. Right? This is my budget for living. So um, to the extent that you want to see me do more of this, you want to see me continue doing this, please support the show value for value. If you get value from me, show that by going on PayPal and supporting me. Thanks, everybody. I will see you, I don't know, maybe tomorrow. Might do a show tomorrow from Georgia again. Uh, if not, uh, next show might be from Tallinn in Estonia. But I'm hoping to do a show tomorrow, 1st of May. It's a good day. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a day the world celebrates communism. Maybe, maybe uh, we can do. Brownie says, what's going fast? The AI Atlas Society? I'll just say quickly, there's no competition. AOI is dramatically bigger than the, uh, the Atlas Society and growing significantly faster than the Atlas Society. I think at the latest, the number of employees at the Iron Institute is somewhere between 60 to 70 people. It's, it's larger today than when I was CEO. It's grown significantly. It's diversified. It's donor base. Uh, the Atlas Society is, is a fraction of the size of the Iron Institute and is not growing anywhere near the, the, the pace of the Iron Institute. Um, all right, guys, uh, have a, as I said, have a great, um, week, have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy your weekend. 
Um, I'm sorry I didn't give you a lot of notice about today's show. I will try to give more notice in the future, but when I travel, it's very difficult. So um, there you go. Oh, Oh, yeah. See you tomorrow. Bye, everybody.